Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast presented by 444 Football. I am 444 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my partner in crime, my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What is up, TJ? What's up, Chris? Uh, I'm I'm ready now with week three of the preseason out of the way. We really don't have anything else to wait for i've been as i mentioned last week i've been playing with lineups a little bit but now we could we could seriously start building dfs lineups because uh pretty much nothing should change after uh week three of the preseason week four doesn't really mean much so it's uh, entering games uh getting all my money ready to blow for week one most definitely man got a lot to talk about today this is going to be the first of our positional strategy podcast we're going to do one on quarterbacks one on running backs one on wide receivers and one on tight ends for you guys all of them will be out before the start of week one so you guys can go back and listen again if you want we'll try to keep it to 30 to 45 minutes just run through the essentials but at the same time go into depth um, where we need to so should be an exciting week for DFS MVP and of course before we go on, we'll talk about the song that played us in. That was Watch Out Now by the Beat Nuts off A Musical Massacre in 1999. And that song was played because we're back now. It's it's August, and I know we've been a little quiet all summer, you know, working hard behind the scenes, getting everything ready for, for all our, of our DFS subscribers at 4 for 4 and just doing our research so we can crush it again this season but watch out now we're back we're hitting you guys with four podcasts this week so continue to stay tuned and before we get into this quarterback strategy pod a couple of other um, things to tend to first our three dfs mvp t-shirt winners were hoosier fantasy guru coach hudson and ram 8727 thank you guys for your itunes rating and reviews Again, that's Hoosier Fantasy Guru, Coach Hudson, and Ram8727. Email DFSMVP at 444.com to claim your t-shirt. And for those listening today, we got a special gift for you guys. For everyone that's listening, if you use the code DFSMVP, you can get 20% off a DFS sub. If you use the code DFSMVP. You can get 20% off a 4 for 4 DFS subscription, so be sure to check that out. We usually give out coupon codes from time to time. It's usually like a 10%, but since you guys are listening, we love you guys, and we thank you guys for tuning in each and every week. If you haven't signed up for the 4 for 4 DFS subscription, use the code DFSMVP for 20% off and DFS subscription going through a lot of upgrades this year. We got some new... DFS value formulas, which better account for positional and salary-based expectations. I'll have an article out on that probably by the time you hear this. We have our ownership projections now with total team ownership for QB running back, wide receiver, and tight end also there. And we also have total passing game projected ownership as well. So you can better spot those high leverage situations and games that may be under owned that you want to attack. We're going to have GPP leverage scores based on ownership and projected value to show what are the highest leverage players to own. Um, and we're also changing the content up a lot this year. We have, we're going to have positional breakdowns um, for each position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, kicker, and defense. And we're 
going to not just give you guys the picks, but also give you guys the upside and the downside for choosing each player and for choosing even tiers of players and certain price ranges of players. We'll go over each chalk play in depth, you know, whether you should play or fade, because I know that's always a major dilemma. Do you play the chalk? Do you fade the chalk? Which type of contest do you use them in and whatnot? So, um, we're going to have a lot of awesome additions, so if you haven't subscribed, be sure to check it out. That 20% off code DFS MVP gets you under 100 hours for the 444 DFS sub. And also, um, happy to announce that we got a couple of new writers on board as well that are going to help out with those positional breakdowns. We got my guy, Justin Bailey, so make sure you follow him on Twitter, at JustinBailey32. And we got my other guy, Ryan Hodge. Make sure you follow him, at Ryan Hodge, on Twitter. Going to be a good year for for four for four DFS, man. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for um, everything you just mentioned. Really, I, I always uh, mention that before I was a four for four employee, I was a four for four user, and uh, I don't just say this because uh, I work at four for four. I think you're going to be able to prepare every week for DFS uh, without leaving the four for four website. That's how how fantastic it's going to be this year. I'm really excited. You mentioned the guys we're bringing on, Justin and Haji. Uh, those are dudes that I've known pretty much my whole DFS career. Haji actually gave me my first writing job, and Justin's a dude that I've been uh, talking DFS strategy with behind the scenes and have worked with him in the past for years now. So uh, it's going to be a good 2017. I'm excited. Most definitely. And I didn't even – honestly, I didn't even get to all the – the changes i mean we also got me and you tj we're we're gonna we're gonna write you know entire just slate breakdowns more freeform strategy you know talk all about our exposures who are overweight on who are underweight on you know switches some things up we we partnered with player profiler so we're gonna have all the cornerback charting data and, and we're gonna improve um the wide receiver versus cornerback article even more so a lot of, a lot of good things on tap but let's get right into this quarterback strategy what you guys came to hear we know quarterback projections when you're trying to figure out how a quarterback is going to do in a given week tj i think one of the first things we always want to look to is the vegas lines can you just tell us what you're looking at when you look at the the, the betting odds the vegas lines whatever you want to call them what are you looking at when it comes to uh, quarterbacks and how are you kind of adjusting your perception of quarterbacks based on the Vegas lines? Yeah, the, there's a few things here. Uh, the, the first thing that I look to is I want to see teams that uh, have a high implied point total. And uh, I, th- I think it's really import- important to start with that because I think it's one spot where people that don't have a ton of experience looking at Vegas lines might get a little tripped up. Uh, people tend to talk about over-unders a lot, especially uh, people that come from a betting background or just kind of uh, tend to glance at something um, like one of the big sports networks or whatnot, just because that's a number that's posted in Vegas. But uh, the implied point total is, is what is really important and tied into that uh, is the spread. But basically the, the implied point total divides the over-under by two and then subtracts the spread um, and that's important because typically the teams that uh, are projected to score the most points are going to uh, have the, the biggest games from the quarterbacks, and that's uh, directly tied into spread. Like I mentioned, teams that are favored generally are going to score more points and are going to um, be able to move the ball more efficiently, and I, I think shortly we'll talk about efficiency and volume. Uh, but being in that positive game script is... Um, is very important. I think it's something that might be a little bit underrated because one of the misconceptions about quarterback and something I hear all the time, especially from people that play traditional fantasy football when they're talking about something like streaming a quarterback is, uh, playing quarterbacks that might be in a high scoring game or might be behind and forced to throw at the end of the game. And that's just not the case. Quarterbacks that don't get the opportunity to score in or to throw in favorable conditions, meaning ahead or, um, in a, in a spot to score a lot of points, just don't score a lot of fantasy points because in those situations, defenses can just kind of pin their ears back like you hear and just get after the quarterback, play their, uh, secondary, uh, as they feel fit without really having to worry much about the run. And that's just not a good spot for a quarterback. So um, those are the first two things I look at. Uh, we can get a little deeper into how you can leverage that for GPPs, but 
Uh, that's really how I narrow down my player pool first and foremost. Um, the threshold kind of depends on what the overall week looks like. Um, kind of 24 point minimum implied point total is an okay threshold to look at, but I mean, if you have uh, a bunch of teams projected between 28 and 30 for whatever reason in a single week, obviously that, that can fluctuate a little bit. Uh, but, but it's all relative, kind of looking at the, the top five or six teams in terms of implied point total and spread instead of thinking about it in terms of uh, absolute numbers to look for is kind of where I start. Well said, and just to to follow up on your point about the, the the threshold, it's I found when I measured cash game consistency that uh, around twenty two points was actually when you start to see uh, the the consistency rates really jumping. So I think twenty two is kind of that bare minimum. Obviously, that's not ideal. That's still a, a bit low, but anything below twenty two for a quarterback. Um, you should, you probably shouldn't even be considering. And this is because two thirds of the NFL's offensive production on average comes from passing the football. So that's one reason why you want teams with favorable odds because those are the teams projected to be ahead and leading in games. And if a team isn't ahead in a game, if a team is struggling, that means they're likely struggling with passing the football in the first place. So if you have a quarterback throwing late in the game and he's only getting a point every 25 yards and he, he's only getting four when he, when he puts it into the end zone, he's not really going to have a lot of time to make, uh, to make up for lost ground. So you really do want those high implied totals and the correlation to, of implied totals to quarterback fantasy scoring is 0.29 over the last four years for, for all starting quarterbacks. And that might seem a little low. It's just on the low end of moderate in terms of co- real world correlations. But in terms of fantasy football and daily fantasy football, from something that's unrelated to the game to be correlated to something in the game, um, fantasy scoring wise, anyway, um, that's a major, that's a strong correlation there. Um, it, you know, if you just looked at no other data but you had implied point totals for every team you could do a decent job of projecting overall quarterback fantasy points and and that's important and and tj alluded to it but the over under the correlation is only 0.22 because again you want the team that's projected to score more points you want the team that's not only in a a good over under situation but one um with the with the high spread so that they're they're leading as well The, the over under is ideal a high over under is ideal as long as it's a close one. So if you have like an over-under 50 or 51, kind of like this Raiders-Titans game in week one, where the spread, it, it fluctuates between a pick and a point or two, then yeah, both teams are expected to score 25 or more points. So that's fine. And in those situations, there's nothing wrong with targeting a high over-under. But in a situation where you have a team like the Falcons and the Bears in week one, where the Falcons are a large favorite, the Bears are not as much of an ideal play because they're just not expected to score as many points. TJ, you alluded to this before, but volume versus efficiency. It's a debate amongst, I guess, us fantasy football nerds in the industry. We probably debate this more than any casual fan even thinks about it. But volume versus efficiency is something that in fantasy, it's it's very important because volume it, aka opportunity just how many attempts or, or whatever a quarterback gets in this case that's he's not going to be able to score fantasy points without that opportunity however quarterback there there's a surplus of quarterbacks we have at least you know 20 some odd quarterbacks in a given week depending on bye weeks that are going to throw the ball that are going to drop back probably 25 30 times at the minimum so because of that um explain to us why efficiency is more important yeah so there's a couple factors at work here um one of the main factors being that uh passing fantasy points just don't um accrue as quickly as other volume uh fantasy points like rushing and receiving so what you want to do is the, the Basically, the, the situation isn't going to uh, separate your quarterback as much just because they're throwing 35 times compared to 28 times for, for someone that, someone else you might be thinking about. Whereas seven or eight targets or, or nine or ten rush attempts, uh, relative to another player at running back or wide receiver, um, that can really account for a huge difference in points. And, um, quarterbacks kind of to the same, uh, note, quarterbacks aren't 
competing with their teammates for that volume. There's only one quarterback that's going to uh, be touching the ball and throwing the ball unless there's some kind of um, injury, of course. And like I talked about when talking about the point spreads, what we're really looking to do is find quarterbacks that are going to be in uh, really favorable situations Obviously, because it's going to lead to um, more yards and touchdowns and, and uh, better yards per attempt. But also, one thing that I think really goes underrated is those efficient passers, whether it be the passer himself or an efficient situation in terms of um, facing a favorable defense or, or just in a uh, winning situation. That's going to lead to less turnovers, and tur- a turnover from the quarterback is very detrimental to a scoring opportunity because you only get... Uh, maybe 10 or 11 drives a game, and if you're lucky, your quarterback's going to score on three of those. If one of those drives ends on a turnover, not only does it take away a scoring opportunity, but it could turn the whole game script around. If that's a pick six or um, a uh, interception close to uh, the opponent scoring ter- territory where they can score quickly, or on the other hand, uh, uh, interception in the red zone that was one of those few scoring drives, all those things lead to a huge decline of fantasy scoring. So that's why we're really looking for efficiency. Volume alone at the quarterback position just isn't going to separate your player from the field. Absolutely. And that's another reason why we target quarterbacks at home most often and we target quarterbacks on the favorite. Now, some of that is due just to what we mentioned before. We want those quarterbacks with the high implied team total. However, another reason why we do so is because quarterbacks just tend to overall play better at home and they tend to play better um, in, in, in good situations and they're going to turn the ball over less, statistically speaking, when they play at home and also, you know, t- quarterbacks on teams that are a favorite also tend to do so because they just have the better matchup. So, you want to kind of minimize the risk there by when you can, you know, a home favorite quarterback is ideal. Now, there are going to be situations, of course, where uh, road underdogs and just all quarterbacks of any, you know, road favorite, whatever, are going to have big games. And, you know, those are your tournament plays. But when you're in, ca- when you're playing a cash game, there's very few quarterbacks who you want to be playing when they're not at home and when they're not a favorite because even some of the the more expensive quarterbacks let's say a Breeze or a Roethlisberger they really don't give you as much production on the road as at home and since their salaries usually aren't discounted enough to reflect that difference in performance between home and road it's a situation where you can get burned just as much by paying what seems like a pretty safe quarterback um, on the road in cash games when when you could have just played maybe a quarterback you don't think as highly of but you know he's at home he's a favorite um those are usually the smarter plays and they usually cost a little bit less you know aside from maybe Tom Brady and and Aaron Rodgers this season I can't really think of too many quarterbacks that I want to play um away from home and to to go more into efficiency, a lot of a question we get asked a lot is about sample size. What is the right sample size in terms of amount of games when you're evaluating a player, or in this case, a quarterback? So what I found, and you guys can read up more about this in the uh, DFS Playbook 2017 Strategy, How to Pick a Quarterback article, which is up on 444.com right now in the DFS tab, I found that quarterback is the only position where the larger the sample size gets in a given season, uh, it doesn't increase the level of predictiveness. So quarterback predictiveness peaks at about seven games. After that, you can kind of throw out the other games and just look at the most recent seven. So of course, you know, early in the season, that's not going to be as big of a deal, but that's something to keep in mind for later in the season. And then efficiency is the most predictive stat when you're looking at past stats in a given season. So the the most predictive stat was fantasy points per game up to a sample size of about six games. So if you're looking for one stat that's going to predict the quarterback's 
future success, it's uh, fantasy points per game. Now, that's essentially an efficiency uh, metric because it's how many fantasy points a quarterback can score per game. And then once you get to that around that sample size of seven games or more, um, and you really only need seven, but at seven or more, fantasy points per attempt actually becomes the most predictive stat of future quarterback fantasy points in a game. So that tells you that fantasy points per attempt is essentially adjusting for outliers and attempts that might lead to extremely high or low um, fantasy points per game number. So again, that's just reinforcing how important uh, efficiency is. I mean, the, the reason I, it's really important to bring up that, that time frame in terms of what the most predictive uh, scoring model is for, and we'll probably get into this with every position, is um, especially later in the season, a lot of times, say we're in week 11 or 12, if you log on to, to FanDuel or DraftKings or something like that, or, or if you just wherever you get your fantasy analysis from, a lot of times you'll see full season scoring and uh, a quarterback that uh, is top three or four in scoring, maybe he hasn't been that great over the past six or seven weeks. And to the same note, another number that's referenced a lot is uh, last week's scoring. That's a very small sample size. Outside of those numbers and your most predictive numbers, a, a lot of times we'll see analysis with some kind of arbitrary cutoff. Um, the last three games, this quarter's done, this quarterback's done this and that. Um, knowing exactly that, that time range we're looking at, uh, really gives us an edge over everyone that's either using, uh, full season data, uh, or last week's data, or whatever arbitrary cutoff they might be using. So I think that's, uh, really, really important to point back to and not gloss over. Oh, definitely. I think those, there's a place for those arbitrary cutoffs. Don't get me wrong because especially when you're dealing in situations where there might be a relevant sample size. For example, an offensive lineman might have gone down four games ago or a receiver might have gotten hurt three games ago. So there's always a time and place for those for those um, arbitrary cutoffs. And we do have to keep in mind that like the, the seven games is still going to be like, I'm sure there's certain quarterbacks who are more predictive over eight games or nine games. But um, yeah, I think I think it really is important to kind of zero in on what is going to be the best sample size and the best stats to use. And I think the, one of the reasons why why it's it's around seven games is because that's usually when you've had enough of a sample size of just different matchups because quarterbacks are so matchup dependent. If you play season long fantasy, I've been hammering this home this season in, in just in my redraft strategy articles and things like that is if you're not getting Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, or, or maybe another quarterback comes to be matchup proof. Every quarterback, even the Breezes and the Wilsons and the Roethlisbergers, they're all matchup dependent. They they have good games at home. They have good games against bad defenses. They have good games as the favorite on the road at times. But if, they, if they're in a tough matchup, they're not necessarily giving you even startable top 12 or whatever production. So... In, in seven games, you usually have a mix of, okay, you probably played some home games, some games with the favorite, some games against the good defense, some games against bad defense. So if you're not performing well enough over those seven games, it, it's essentially saying, well, hey, this quarterback probably just doesn't have it for whatever reason. He's not able to, you know, to have those kind of outlying performances and good matchups that we're looking for in DFS. So it, it's, it is very important. Yeah, and, and the data backs up what you mentioned uh, regarding uh, quarterbacks in good or bad matchups. Um, last season, I, I did a column called DFS Big Game Profiles, um, and basically what it showed was when looking for quarterbacks that, that finish in the top three or four at their position, and this is geared more towards GPPs because you want those really top scores, but it's still important for any type of game you're playing. Um, two-thirds of quarterbacks on DraftKings and 70% of quarterbacks on FanDuel in what I call big games came against teams that finished the season ranked in the bottom half of 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. So like like I mentioned, um, recent history, which is a pretty big sample, three seasons of data, supports what you said there. Absolutely. And those big game profiles, we'll talk more about those in a second when we get into the GPPs. Those are some really great articles. You guys can find those on 444.com as well. You can hit up the DFS strategy hub on the sidebar and pretty much find any article we ever mentioned. But we'll also uh, post a link to it in the pod uh, notes. But let's talk about cash games because and we were just talking about this off air, TJ, because we have some new we have a new value metric at 4 for 4 we're shifting away from points per dollar 
because there are some issues with it. It's linear, um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't always give you the best when, when you're when you're manually trying to compare players. It doesn't always give you the best means to do that. When you're using a lineup generator, that's the beauty of the lineup generator. It knows exactly how to optimize. Um, but when you're just kind of looking at values and you're trying to make your own manual comparisons or maybe play wrestle with something in your head, um, points per dollar can kind of mislead you. And one of those main reasons is because quarterbacks, especially on DraftKings and FanDuel, are priced in such a way that they, on average, score significantly more points per dollar than the other positions. So TJ, can you just talk about that and how it affects your cash game strategy in terms of opportunity cost? Yeah, so it, it's a little bit um, different between sites, but um, one thing that I definitely notice on, especially on FanDuel, and this is going back to last year, pricing is a little bit um was a little bit looser on FanDuel last year. So what that meant is that in general, uh, we were able to pay up a little bit more for quarterbacks. And uh, what we found from, from the data that you ran is those higher-priced quarterbacks are actually a little more consistent on FanDuel. Uh, because pricing was a little looser, paying up at quarterback didn't necessarily um, lower the floor of your overall lineup. Whereas on DraftKings, with pricing being a little bit tighter, obviously those those top quarterbacks in theory are better, um, but there's a little bit more of a value impact overall on your lineup on DraftKings with generally tight, uh, tighter pricing by paying all the way up. Um, so I think kind of the sweet spot on DraftKings is somewhere in that, that middle uh, salary range because... If you go too high, you can see an overall drop in your floor. Um, also, that full PPR pricing on DraftKings makes you want to get a little higher quality of a, a running back and a wide receiver. So that's kind of my jumping off point in terms of thinking about value and opportunity cost between the two sites. Uh, but I know you have a couple things that you want to add to that. Yeah, I think it, it really depends on when you're looking at quarterback pricing, you just really have to be careful when you're using a points per dollar metric because what happens is you will see, no matter how accurate your and great your projections are, what you're going to see is number one, you're going to see a whole bunch of quarterbacks are going to be your top point per dollar plays over like the Le'Veon Bells and the David Johnsons at other positions. And not only that, but your cheap quarterbacks like your Blake Bortles and your Alex Smith or whoever are going to probably come out to better point per dollar values just because of their price alone. But that doesn't really uh, kind of convey their true value relative to the other positions or relative to other quarterbacks. So I think it's really important to kind of use uh, a different metric to kind of when you're comparing players manually. Um, So that's why we have this new value metric at 4 for 4 where we're essentially using historical data to find a an expected point output for each position at each salary range and then we're kind of comparing the projection to um, that baseline and, and, and really seeing because we want to maximize our points above expectation not just our points per dollar you know if you had you know nine Alex Smiths in your lineup even if he's a high point per dollar value you're not maximizing your your lineup for example so um, that that's something we're, we're changing this year and I think that's something really important to keep in mind and another thing that goes in with all this is when you always want to you never want to come in to to any positional strategy with a kind of just a set way of going about things you always want to be able to adapt and that's why you know projections are so important and and looking at projected value each week is so important because for example sure you know paying up for quarterback on DraftKings last year wasn't the best option but that was because of the opportunity cost of what's around them we had two very highly consistent running backs actually three Le'Veon Bell David Johnson and Ezekiel Elliott and then we had a bunch of other running backs that were also pretty consistent when you talk about LaShawn McCoy you talk about DeMarco Murray so and then you had some wide receivers you know you have Antonio Brown but in certain years that might not be the case you know let's say David Johnson you know Ezekiel Elliott's already suspended let's say Johnson and Bell get hurt let's say maybe Brown misses a few games and your top receivers are now Mike Evans and some guys who just aren't as consistent that might shift 
the whole uh, dynamic around where now it makes the most sense to pay up for that quarterback. So it all comes down to just being able to judge value in a given slate. And that's where, you know, th- these these new projections, these value metrics are going to come uh, especially in handy. And of course, the lineup generator is always operating under that same logic. So, you know, just be sure, guys, when you're when you're looking at your your list of projections and and your values that you, you're not getting hung up on playing a guy just because he has a high on um, points per dollar projection, because that could lead you in, in a different direction um, than you might want to be going at times. And TJ, before we get into tournaments uh, in in cash games. How, what do you what do you look for to kind of maximize um minimize I should say the chances of your quarterback busting I kind of alluded to it before but is there a specific kind of um situations that you're avoiding in in cash games in terms of the quarterbacks that are even in your player pool in the first place yeah I, I think one thing that um I I look at after I narrow down my um, my Vegas lines and, and my implied point totals. I want, I still want a quarterback with a, um, generally narrow range of outcomes. And, uh, those quarterbacks generally, um, aren't very turnover prone and hopefully have some kind of, uh, rushing upside. Obviously, some of the top guys aren't going to offer you that, um, but they're just really good quarterbacks. But, uh, what, one thing that I look at a lot and I post, uh, a lot on Twitter are, uh, CV reports, both weekly and, uh, year over year, but, but the weekly one is a little, is one we're a little bit more interested in. Um, those very volatile quarterbacks are those boom bust plays. Even if they are in what looks like a really good situation, if it's a coin flip or they're priced similarly to somebody, um, that I know is a, is a little more consistent, then, um, I'm gonna go with that consistent guy just because if for whatever reason the, the quarterback you're looking at, sometimes this is an inexperienced guy, like I said, someone might be a really good, um, point per thousand dollars, which is, like you said, a metric that has some holes in it. And a lot of times this is a cheap, inexperienced quarterback. Just because that quarterback is in a decent situation and he's very cheap, he isn't necessarily a, a snap call cash game play. Think about someone like a, like a Scott Tolsey in week one and the argument you hear a lot is, and this goes right back to, to the linear points per dollar, this quarterback only needs 12 points to hit value. That's just a very poor way to think about uh, building a cash game lineup, especially in football, um, where the skill level is very high across the entire board. Even uh, players that aren't that experienced are generally putting together some pretty decent lineups just because people know who's good and who's bad at football. So even though those players only need whatever, 12, 13 points to hit quote-unquote value, um, their floors are still very low, and, and I want a quarterback that uh, can 3-4x his value pretty easily, which uh, a lot of these more consistent top guys can do. Definitely, and I think you hit on another key point in terms of why we're shifting to a, a different kind of value metric is because points per dollar is linear, and what happens is a player at a lower salary needs more points per dollar to hit value than a player at a high salary. So it's it's easy. It's a lot easier to explain at the running back position because you have such crazy differences in salary. But at quarterback, for example, if you have a player like Aaron Rodgers and he's, say, $7,500 on DraftKings, he doesn't need to hit the same amount of points per dollar. Like if he if he hits three points per dollar per, per thousand or whatever, you know, that's that's not necessarily what he needs to do, whereas the same can be said for a quarterback that costs the minimum 5K or whatever. He, you should be, he, you should be looking for more than 15 points from him because the higher salaried players, because of that high salary, every uh, point per dollar is, is worth more to you. So it's the same reason, like I said, you don't want nine Alex Smiths in your lineup, even if you could, even if he was the highest point per dollar value on the whole slate you would be leaving points on the table because he's not filling your whole cap. So um, definitely something to keep in mind. Let's get into tournaments. I know that's you guys' favorite. And I think in tournaments, it really comes down to ownership at quarterback, first and foremost. And what I mean by that is I don't mean you should be purposely trying to find some off-the-wall quarterback play, but I, you have to understand the the dynamics of ownership. So 
what happens usually is the the top one or two quarterbacks in a given week get owned disproportionately to their chances of finishing as the top quarterback. And pretty much every other quarterback is essentially the ownership is flat for the most part. Some will have more than others. Sure. But at the end of the day, what's happening is you can pretty much get good value on any quarterback, except maybe that top owned or that top two owned play. So I think when you're when you're selecting quarterbacks, you don't need to go for those for those contrarian um, p- plays as much as you need to just kind of be careful with the chalk. Um, if you're going for a chalk play, you know you, you probably want to get some interesting differentiation, maybe with a stack or something like that. Um, TJ, how are you going about narrowing down your player pool in tournaments at quarterback, and how does it differ? from your cash games, which quarterbacks are you kind of maybe adding as tournament options that you wouldn't necessarily consider in cash games? Yeah, before I I answer your question, I do just want to clarify something. When What we're going to be talking about here, especially in terms of ownership, um, assumes larger field GPPs with... um, with multi-entry, obviously, if you're playing something like like a single entry or a three max, uh, leveraging the ownership information is going to be a little less, a, a, a lot more difficult because you're not uh, building an entire portfolio of teams where you're going to have personal ownership on these players. And then uh, the the reason that you can get really good value on almost any quarterback except for uh, the top one or two on quarterbacks is because uh, quarterback ownership is a lot flatter than other positions. Um, there just aren't as many uh, options and there's not as big of a difference uh, between the top two or three guys in the next and the, the guys in the four to six range. So even the highest owned quarterbacks, I mean, maybe 15 or 20% ownership at the very most. And uh, the way that you can take advantage of that, assuming a, a multi-entry strategy is you don't really have to go way overweight or way underweight on your quarterback. If you're expecting a, a quarterback to be on 15%, um, you could still have him in just in 5% of, of your lineups and be pretty significantly otherweight, underweight. And to the same point, uh, you don't have to go crazy like you might at running back. If you want to be overweight on a running back, sometimes you'll have a, a running back owned in 65% of your lineups. At quarterback, you can have him in 20% of your lineups where the field might only have him in 5 to 7%, and you have a, a really big advantage on the field if that guy goes off. But what I really like to do is, compared to cash games like we mentioned, in cash games I'm going with that, with the most consistent possible player, and that goes back to what we talked about initially. The highest implied point total possible, the biggest spread possible at home on the best offensive possible. If I can get all those things for cash games, that's fantastic. For GPPs, I still want those really favorable conditions, but we can drop down to the second tier of all of those aspects. So, if the top two quarterbacks have implied point totals of, of say, 30 points, I might be looking at a quarterback with an implied point total at, of, of 28 and to the same point. If a, if a quarterback is favored by six or seven, maybe a quarterback that's only favored by three or even a quarterback that is in a, in a pick'em, um, but has a very similar implied point total, uh, those quarterbacks, even though their expectation is probably really close, are probably going to be a third highly as owned as those top two guys. So that's really my starting point for looking at the quarterbacks that I want to be overweight on relative to the field. Yeah, definitely. I actually did some research, and what I found, I was looking for what kind of quarterbacks are scoring points that you would need to to to, to get you a, a winning tournament lineup. And this is more for large fields, so it turned out that for the DK Millie Maker and the FanDuel Sunday Million, you needed about 25 points or more from your quarterback to have a shot at winning, uh, finishing in the first place. So it, it might be a little lower, as you mentioned, TJ, in your in sharper tournaments at higher buy-ins and, and with less people and things like that. But what I found was that when you look at four for fours ranking 
of a quarterback for for 25 point scorers quarterbacks in the 6 to 10 range accounted for 23% of those uh scorers so almost a quarter and then quarterbacks in the 11 15 range uh, accounted for another 22%. So you have almost half of those quarterbacks now 31% were from the 1 through 5 range. So of course that's leading but you have about half almost half of uh, quarterbacks that are going to give you enough points in a given week ranked 6 through 15 by 4 for 4. And I think that's really important because again, the ownership is going to be flat. Quarterbacks on in both average winning lineups uh, average the lowest ownership right around 7%, 7.7% in the Millie Maker over the last 2 years and 7.4% in the Sunday Million over the last 2 years. So, you can really find a lot of value by as TJ mentioned, just going down to that second tier and every the conditions won't always be ideal, but it's 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 hard to predict exactly the right quarterback play. But if you're if you're doing a three entry max and you you take three different quarterbacks and you kind of get equal exposure to each, or if you're doing a multi entry and you get maybe exposure to your favorite five quarterbacks, I really think that's the way to play it. Um, more so than what I found with quarterback predictability is like quarterbacks have the narrowest range of outcomes, but they are not necessarily the most predictable running backs are actually despite a larger range of outcomes running backs are more predictable as in we know when whether a running back will hit the high or low range of his outcomes uh, more easily than we can for quarterbacks so quarterbacks even though their range of outcomes is narrow they're a little tougher to predict because they're all so close together and something as simple as a wide receiver breaking a tackle on a deep bar getting behind the defense or something like that is going to swing points a lot for quarterbacks and swing the ranking so when you're playing in tournaments at quarterback I I, I do think it's a good idea to get exposure to a few different quarterbacks you know if you're playing five different quarterbacks and you're equally exposed you have 20% on each quarterback and as TJ mentioned the field is usually going no higher than 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 seven to nine percent on most quarterbacks if you look at the four for four projected ownership for week one which is up right now we only have uh, three quarterbacks projected to 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 potentially surpass 10 percent ownership so in that 10 to 15 range um and and every other quarterback is going to be below that so you know some definitely something to keep in mind and let's close up by talking about uh one of the favorite topics that i get asked about i know you always get asked about which is stacking tj how do you go about stacking your quarterback in a tournament how often do you do it and who are you doing it with uh i don't think there i i should never say never over 95% of the time, I have some kind of quarterback stack in my lineup. Uh, there are very, very few instances where going naked quarterback is a good idea for GPPs because when you pair a quarterback with another player uh, in that game, you are inherently raising the overall upside of your lineup. And, and to those who are experienced DFS players, um, that's a very elementary idea, but uh, if, if you're new to the podcast, I think that's a very important uh, takeaway. If you're wondering about one, what some of those exceptions are, um, somebody that is going to give you a lot of touchdown upside. So probably my favorite quarterback to roll out naked is Cam because there, there are times where he'll uh, throw one touchdown, rush for two. That, that's a pretty good spot, almost exclusively um, with a rushing quarterback, though. In general, I mean, off the bat, I, I want to stack my quarterback with his top receiver. Um, that's going to be the majority of my stacks, but it's really going to vary. I, I'll let you talk about the nuances of pricing with the quarterback wide receiver stack. Um, very rarely I'm going to go with a quarterback and just his number two wide receiver. There are instances where the tight end is kind of like a de facto number one. So if it's like a Eifert and a Jimmy Graham or, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, um, Eifert and Andy Dalton or Jimmy Graham and Russell Wilson, that's fine. And then there are the superpower offenses like the, the Steelers, if you go a Big Ben and a Le'Veon where you want to stack your quarterback with a running back, I don't shy away from that either. Um, if I, if I do, for whatever reason, have those highest scoring games, which I don't think you can completely shy away from, but maybe you're just a little underweight because people are, are so heavy on a particular game, uh, you could load up on, on those games by going quarterback, pass catcher, and a pass catcher from another team. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that either. 
Definitely, and I'll, I'll have a bunch of points to make. But before I do, I want to tell you fantasy football fans to listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try these new best ball leagues on my new favorite app, Draft. It's a season-long league, just like you play with your friends, but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. Draft takes care of the hard work. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best scores get automatically selected every week. You can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, there are no salary caps, and you can play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's a league for everyone. It's so easy to start playing draft today. Just go to playdraft.com slash 4 for 4. That's playdraft.com, the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4. And you can join a game in minutes. All new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use my promo code 4 for 4. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code, the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4. And I want to get back into this stacking because, TJ, you brought up a point that, again, some of the new listeners might not even totally grasp this and being overweight and underweight. And all that means is that Every week, we try to project ownership as best we can. At 4 for 4 here, we have a model. It takes into account past ownership, past performance, ranking, salary, a whole bunch of factors, and essentially spits out a projected ownership, which then um, we, of course, go and adjust manually um, to, to, to further uh, improve the accuracy. Um, and we have that up right now. If you go to our DFS dropdown on 444.com, you'll see a section for ownership projections. But what, what that means, overweight and underweight, is that whatever a player's projected to be owned let's say it's 10 to 15 percent in a given week you're essentially whether you whether you notice it or do it deliberately or not you're essentially making a decision about whether you want to be over or underweight on a player or equal so if you really like a certain quarter if you're for example if you're playing only one lineup let's say you're playing one lineup in a given week and you have a you're going to use a quarterback he's projected to be owned 10 to 15 percent that means you're way overweight on that one quarterback now if you're using 10 lineups and he's only in one well then you're pretty much equal you're at 10 percent and he's projected to be owned around 10 15 percent so you're pretty much equal so that's all that overweight underweight means in terms of stacking Yes, I think the quarterback and the number one receiver have the most upside. That has been proven. You guys can read more about it. I, I did a couple articles on this, one for DraftKings, one for FanDuel, where um, it's called the definitive guide to stacking on DraftKings and the definitive guide to stacking on FanDuel, where I went through all the correlations and how many times a quarterback and a with a paired receiver hits a certain number of points. Why, the top wide receiver is the best option, but something interesting I found when I was doing my research this year was that while 94% of winning lineups in the Sunday Million contained a quarterback receiver stack and 72% of lineups in the Millie Maker did, they usually didn't pair the quarterback with an expensive wide receiver. So only of the wide receivers priced 8,000 or more in first place lineups, only 28% of them on in the FanDuel Sunday Million and 17% of them in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker were paired with their own quarterback. So what's usually happening is a quarterback's getting paired with a mid-range or a lower cost option or the receiver's expensive, but the quarterback's not. The reason you don't want to use two expensive players in a stack is because when TJ mentioned, you know, you're increasing the upside of your lineup by using these correlated plays, uh, one of the upside is not just raw points. Upside is also the upside to outscore your salary. So what you're essentially doing, what you want to happen is you want to say, take a, a an expensive receiver and a cheap quarterback. And because those plays are correlated, you're getting expensive production from two players for the price of one. So that's what you're really trying to do with these correlations. So either you want to go cheap, cheap, or, you know, expensive, cheaper, moderate, you know, just not, but two expensive players, it's kind of reducing your upside. It's, it's increasing maybe your raw point upside a little bit, but that's usually not going to be worth the extra cost involved. You rather just save that cost, get two correlated plays, and then go and spend that money elsewhere on maybe another correlated stack or something like that. So that's the reason why 
stacking with with two expensive players really isn't going to work and one thing I want to talk about before we get out of here is stacking with the opposing offense can you just talk about that a little TJ yeah so it's kind of an extension of exactly what we've been talking about if there is um, a situation where a receiver is going to um, uh, benefit from his quarterback having a very good game then there are also certain situations where uh a receiver on another team is going to benefit from that situation. Um, the, the classic shootout, and it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. We don't want uh, that quarterback in garbage time, but the receiver on the other side could benefit. Um, one, it's a shootout, so both teams are probably probably going to be throwing a lot, and that means a, an opposing pass catcher is going to see increased amount of targets, increased amount of uh, touchdown possibility, but... In that garbage time situation, if, if it's on the losing team or, I mean, it's, it's either side, but, uh, that receiver can still have a really, uh, good game by, uh, accruing catches and points down the stretch. Whereas that quarterback is, if he throws for a hundred yards in the fourth quarter, that's only worth four points. If that receiver catches, um, 60 of those yards on five catches from that quarterback, he just had 11 points to his point total. So, he doesn't necessarily have, he being the opposing wide receiver doesn't necessarily have to be in a fantastic situation. Um, but he has added upside just from being in that high scoring game and he can benefit from playing behind if it is the opposing, uh, pass catcher on the losing team. Obviously, if it's a situation like we mentioned where it's a high scoring game with a very close total, um, you could flip it. You can, you can just kind of have, uh, exposure to both. You can do, uh, um, opposing stacks, uh, if you will, with, within your portfolio. But, uh, that's kind of the general idea behind having that opposing pass catcher within that stack. And it just makes for a very unique lineup just because it's still not a very popular play. And in large field GPPs, what we're looking Looking for is um, something that's very unique and low owned more than anything, and people tend to think about it in terms of ind- individual players. But having that unique lineup, uh, just overall unique lineup construction, that's really how you can set yourself apart, and I think that's a really fantastic way to do it. Absolutely, well said. I think in GPPs, when you're trying to hit such a high score, you're looking for the maximum upside while having to get the least amount of things right. So for example, you use a quarterback receiver stack. Okay. Now you only have to get one thing right. And that's something like if you get one thing, right, you're really getting two things, right. If, if, it, if it hits and then you kind of run that back with a, with a, another opposing receiver stack, maybe in a whole different game. And then you kind of have all these situations where instead of choosing, trying to get nine individual plays, right. You're kind of trying to get three or four scenarios right and when you have these groups of players kind of like if that if this happens then that happens and that's kind of the way I like to think about building GPP lineups but we already ran a little long so we will get out of here be sure to tune into DFS MVP um, next couple of days we'll have the running back podcast out then the wide receiver and the tight end after that and of course we'll have the week one pod breaking down all of the week one action with top picks at each position and some DFS theory be sure to subscribe to DFS MVP if you haven't already. Be sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJHernandez.com. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. And again, for you guys listening, if you haven't already subscribed to 444.com, use the discount code DFS MVP. You can go to my pin tweet on Twitter. Um, there'll be a link to sign up for 444DFS. You can sign up and you'll get a 20% discount. That will bring the sub over, I mean, under $100, excuse me. I think it will pay itself off very quickly. So be sure to check that out. TJ, any last Let's words? Let's massacre this money. Let's get this money, man. Watch out now.